Welcome back to the program. We are coming up next year on the 20th anniversary of NAFTA. So far, it has created tens of millions of jobs, more integrated a continent, and dramatically increased trade. Yet, for politically expedient reasons, we constantly seem to be relitigating these same issues. Arguably, we should be looking at the success of NAFTA as a jumping-off point for greater geopolitical integration of the North American continent. The world is changing. With technology growing and business becoming ever more global, the future economic and national security of the U.S. will be dependent on cooperation with our neighbors to the north and south. Our guest today, Dr. Robert Pastor, makes the case for this future. The world is changing, he argues, and we can't go forward and make progress as human beings while being held back by arbitrary political borders and nostalgia for an archaic time filled with isolationism and opposition to globalization. Dr. Robert Pastor is Professor of International Relations and founder of the Center for North American Studies at American University. He served on the National Security Council and as a consultant to the State and Defense Departments. He's the author of 16 previous books, and it is my pleasure to welcome him here to the program today to talk about his latest, The North American Idea, A Vision of a Continental Future, Dr. Robert Pastor, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, and thanks for the wonderful introduction of the subject as well as the book. Well, great to have you here. We're coming up on 20 years of NAFTA. In almost every sense, it has been successful, and yet we seem to, one, be relitigating these issues, as I mentioned in the introduction, and also we seem to have had an inability to move beyond that, to look at the parts that have been successful and figure out how we can expand and improve upon those. Talk about that. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I think the last 20 years reflect both the great success and the the, the limitations of NAFTA. And um, we haven't really adjusted to that fact. The truth is that we we did succeed in our original objectives with regard to NAFTA in its first seven years, almost spectacularly. The purpose of NAFTA was simply to dismantle trade and investment barriers among the three countries of North America and expand trade and investment. And in seven years, we tripled trade, we quintupled foreign direct investment. We moved from just trading products to, to building products together, which gave us such a competitive edge that in just those seven years, the share of world product earned by the three countries of North America uh, soared from 30 to 36 percent, um, and uh, meaning that we we zoomed ahead of both Europe and East Asia. Since 2001, however, we have we have almost reversed our position, and we're now at the same level of East Asia and uh, Europe at 25 percent of the world product. And there are multiple reasons for that, but the main reason is very simply the three governments failed to build on the foundation of NAFTA realized that the agenda had changed and we needed to move forward. And so far, only the Mexican government, believe it or not, the weakest and the poorest of the three, has shown any initiative in trying to move beyond NAFTA. The U.S. and the Canadian governments have been absolutely frigid and rigid and, uh, in, in refusing to accept that, the, that their competitive edge has fallen in large part because they failed to build on the continental advantage that we have. What impact did 9-11 have in making all of this more difficult? It had a huge impact. Um, we moved from wanting to integrate our three economies to building barriers 
we actually um, uh, uh, lifted barriers higher to trade, to travel, to investment among the three countries of North America since 9-11 uh, than, was, than the barriers that had been removed as a result of NAFTA. So I don't think we should underestimate it. Look, uh, the best example of all is in this new immigration reform bill, the Republicans have put forth a proposal for $46 billion just for one year to further secure a border that has already, they've, they've already spent, the Congress has already spent nearly $200 billion since 9-11 to build up borders that we have formally talked about as the longest undefended borders in the, in the world. Uh, so, so 9-11 has played a big role, but it's not the only reason why we have slipped backwards economically with regard to our major competitive um, uh, nations, regions in the world like Europe and East Asia, um, but, uh, but also in terms of our economy, in terms of our relationships with our neighbors, uh, the building of fences, the putting 700, billion, 700 more miles of fences between the U.S. and Mexico, in addition to $46 billion on the border, is a statement to Mexico that we view them as threats, not as partners, which is a terrible mistake. To what extent have the problems with the European Union, particularly of late, had an impact on looking at a North American Union that might be similar in kind or in scope and creating more fears of that kind of a union? Well, my argument is that, frankly, we should not replicate the European Union. It's built on a very different foundation than the United States, Canada, and Mexico. First of all, there are 29 nations with much longer histories, traditions, regulations, policies. They've had a difficult enough time trying to integrate. And the recent, uh, the recent um, recessions there have been further proof they have a long way to go. Um, we have a simpler task because we only have three nations. Our, di- our differences, though they may seem large from a cultural standpoint with regard to Mexico, uh, are not actually as great from a policy standpoint as the Europeans have. So my recommendation is look at Europe to see where they have succeeded and where they have failed. Where they have succeeded, where they have failed, we should try to avoid their mistakes. Where they have succeeded, we should not adopt their successes. We should rather adapt their successes to a different landscape in North America. Um, But before we negotiate with Europe on a free trade agreement, which is what we're doing right now, we should start by negotiating with our two neighbors first. That not only will lead to a more successful outcome for the U.S. economy and society, but more importantly, it will give us leverage in negotiating both with Europe and with East Asia. But we're not doing that right now. The Obama administration has been extremely short-sighted in its trade policy, extremely limited and uh, uninformed with regard to the relative importance of our neighbors vis-a-vis Europe and East Asia, and that's, that's part of our problem right now, is we don't have a strategy, we don't have a big idea right now in looking at our competitive position in the world, and so the Obama administration has failed thus far. As you talk about greater integration in North America post-NAFTA, is this a market idea strictly, or is it a market and political idea? Well, I wouldn't say political, but I would say policy coordination is essential at a much higher and deeper level than we've ever contemplated before. Again, we don't want to replicate the European Union. There's no reason to have a union in North America. We have three sovereign governments, each of which 
want to continue to be quite independent of each other. But we need a new and different kind of and different level of, of cooperation and coordination among our three governments that we have not yet contemplated. The Mexicans and the Canadians have to do this because of the relative importance of the U.S. to their economy. They have very senior people. In fact, their entire government is oriented to how do we adapt to the United States. The problem remains the United States is just unaware that our two major trading partners are not China and England. They are Canada and Mexico. Our two largest sources of energy imports uh, are not Saudi Arabia and Venezuela. They're Canada and Mexico. We don't have any awareness of the importance of our two neighbors in our government. There is no good organization at the highest level of the U.S. government have had to deal with Canada and Mexico. So we are a large part of the problem there. We shouldn't have to replicate Europe. Uh, in fact, it would be a mistake to do so because we're built on different foundations. We should, however, learn from Europe and adapt what we've learned. How should we be looking at this in terms of concerns such as energy security and climate change and other labor and environmental issues? That is an excellent question. Just two days ago, just yesterday actually, uh, the Mexican president proposed a reformation of their energy policy that is so significant that if you, if you compared it to to, uh, to uh, decisions by the United States, it would mean that the Democrats would consider modifying fundamentally Social Security and the Republicans uh, would consider uh, lifting uh, expenditures and ending sequestration um, in order to stimulate the U.S. economy. In short, what Mexico did in the last couple of days or what the Mexican president proposed was what we call a third rail in the United States, or some could say a sacred cow. They really did a fun, really are proposing some fundamental changes in Mexico on how to deal with energy security um, that will have a profound effect on North America as a whole because they're now actually importing um, uh, half of their gasoline from the United States, a quarter of their natural gas from the United States, and their overall oil production has declined and they're proposing to open up the oil sector, even though this is the single most, most uh, almost religious and sacred um, policy that Mexico has pursued since 1938. Uh, and this will change everything in North America. Um, but we also need to combine it with our concern about carbon emissions and climate change. What we need is a framework for the three countries to pursue a similar policy on climate change as well. There's no sense just one of the three countries doing it, or even two of them doing it. Um, uh, we all need to do it together. And if we combine it with a new framework that can lift production of energy together with reduction and uh, reduction in in uh, in emissions and conservation, that would again give us a competitive edge on the rest of the world and change the entire energy picture for the world with with extraordinary the positive geopolitical implications and economic implications for the U.S. and North America. And how do we incorporate this with some of the ideas that you talk about as they relate to transportation and infrastructure? Well, you know, the trade among the three countries of North America have tripled. Most of that trade goes, 80% of that trade goes by road. We have not built a single new road. How do you create a market if you don't build any roads, if you don't improve your your railroads, if you don't improve your ports, you can't. 
And so that's led to large costs as well. That combined with 9-11 was what led to a reduction by two-thirds in the growth of trade among the three countries of North America since 2011. So we need to have a plan uh, that recognizes this continental market, a transportation and infrastructure plan. Each of the three countries of North America have put forth a national plan, but actually none of those three countries have national plans. They each have local plans, which they pretend are national. They need to take a leap beyond local plans and beyond national plans and think continentally, like President Roosevelt did when he suggested proposed an inter-American highway during World War II. That led to an expansion of trade between U.S. and Latin America. Now it's time to have new transportation corridors, new coordinations uh, among the three countries of North America to build a truly continental market in North America. But there, but our ministers of transportation in the three countries haven't even begun to think about it like this. So that's, that's just one more reason why we have failed to take advantage of, of the NAFTA platform that exists uh, and that came into being two decades ago. Why hasn't NAFTA addressed the issue of a common external tariff? Why has that been an issue that, that has hung out there even in spite of the success of NAFTA? Um, in my view, it's a lack of an idea and a lack of leadership on the part of the three countries. There's actually only one leader that really proposed it, and he was shot down immediately. That was Vicente Fox, the first truly democratically elected president of Mexico in the year 2000. He proposed a customs union and a common external tariff, and he received no response from Canada or from the United States at the time. I think it's very short-sighted. Most people don't understand the difference between a customs union and a union or between a customs union and a free trade area. Free trade area dismantled the trade barriers among our three countries but left our external trade barriers the same. What that means is that every product crossing the border of our three countries has to be inspected. We have to go through old customs forms, and these inspections are just so onerous that most most companies don't even take advantage of the free trade tariffs. They just pay the normal multinational tariffs. If we move to a single customs union, um, we, we just basically collect one tariff on the perimeter of all three countries. We share the revenues of that, which could go into a North American transportation and infrastructure fund, and we also allow easier access for our existing products and easier joint production among our three countries, which would give us an extraordinary competitive edge. There are economists who say that the cost of the current rules of origin, which comes because we don't have the common external tariff, may be as high as $400 billion. That's a tax we're all paying, which is ridiculous. Uh, the Republicans should be in front of this one. If they want to eliminate a large tax move towards the customs union. But a lot of people confuse that by thinking that we're going to move towards a single North American union, which is completely different. A North American union is one political entity like the United States is right now. A customs union is only a device for having a single tariff for products coming into North America. So it makes a lot of sense. But unfortunately, our leaders have been very short-sighted and haven't really thought hard about what this means or why it would benefit North America so much. How is that argument best framed? Is it just in economic terms? Is it just in a sense of being competitive 
with the rest of the world, framed in a way that moves it beyond the kind of nativism that infuses this debate to such a large extent in Canada and most particularly in the U.S.? Your questions keep getting better and better. I, I don't see, I didn't think that was possible, frankly, when you started, because I think the first question was excellent. You're absolutely right on this. Um, I think the most practical arguments are your economic arguments, which is why I'm also using them right now, because they get people's attention and people are concerned about uh, their, their, uh, their well-being and their prosperity. And so that attracts attention. But I think really to move forward the North American idea, we need to think about it as a real leap for the United States into a new 21st century in which all nations are going to have to 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 um, to adapt the way they relate to each other in an increasingly globalized world, and the best way to do that is to start with subregions. That is to say, proximate areas. You don't need to start with the whole world. In fact, the World Trade Organization has gone nowhere because it's now just too large, with over 160 members right now. It's hard to negotiate anything. So it makes much more sense to start with a region, and we're very lucky. We have two neighbors in our region that are very close to the United States, that are not very different, uh, as different as a lot of people think, socially, politically, economically. Indeed, migration has transformed the United States and all three countries in ways that permit us to collaborate in much more intensive ways, both socially, demographically. We are more like each other today than ever before. Canada is a truly international, multicultural country. The United States is becoming more Hispanic. We actually have more... Mexican origin people, citizens and residents living in the United States, than there are Canadians living in Canada. Uh, so we should be thinking much broader about how do we want to transform ourselves in the world. Our great leadership in the 20th century came from just such a great insight. That insight was that colonialism was a dead end for world politics. It led us to war after war. And first Woodrow Wilson and then Franklin Roosevelt said, the only way we're going, to, we're going to end wars among great powers is we need to end colonialism and imperialism. And that's what Roosevelt was able to do after World War II. We need a similar insight at this moment in time for the 21st century uh, and a similar compelling idea. And that's why I wrote the book, The North American Idea, uh, to get us to think about the 21st century in a different way, not just as economically beneficial, to create a continental market, but politically, socially, internationally, as a way to redesign world politics, to make it safer, more secure for people, and to, to give us uh, a greater tolerance for, for other cultures and other peoples, because that's the essence of how do we escape the current sectarian violence of the 20th century, 21st century, uh, um, where we are right now. Do we need a clearer, practical understanding of something like the auto business is perhaps the penultimate example, where we see this porousness resulting in not so much Canadian cars or American cars or Mexican, but, but North American cars. I mean, that seems to be the ultimate example of success. I think you're absolutely right. Um, we, did, we, did, um, uh, we did begin to integrate our three economies through the auto industry, first with the U.S.-Canadian Automotive Pact, and simultaneously with the Maquila Dora uh, agreement with Mexico in the mid-1960s. And before too long, our large auto companies began to think continentally, way before American government and others did. 
And today we don't produce an American car. Uh, we don't produce a Canadian car. We don't produce a Mexican car. We produce a, a North American car with parts that cross the border at least seven times before it's assembled into a North American car. But we haven't yet developed a strategy to export those North American cars to East Asia or to Europe, which is why uh, we need to start thinking larger than we have before. Um, and we need to realize that our capacity to grow now really depends on finding new ways to have joint production among our three countries, uh, using the, the auto industry as a good model, but not as the only model. Dr. Robert Pastor, his book is The North American Idea, A Vision of a Continental Future. It's just out from Oxford University Press. Robert, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. I thank you very much. I mean, your questions were superb. I think the idea of North America is compelling, and I hope more people like you will continue to press us to help us think through exactly why we need to get our government's leaders to push further on this continental idea. Thank you, Dr. Robert Pastor. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. <laughs> 